Welcome to Market Corner Conversations, sponsored by Foresight Health. This is where outcomes matter, customers count, and value rules. Market Corner Conversations is Foresight Health's regular podcast series. It explores the intricacies of market-driven health reform. We dig deep into the U.S. system's structural inefficiencies. We explain how its artificial economics and distorted business models rob the American people of the great health care they deserve. We identify and talk with innovative companies that are reinventing healthcare delivery by being better, faster, cheaper, and more customer-friendly. I first came across an early-stage company from the Twin Cities called Carrot Health when they independently reviewed my book. And I got to say, it's like when people are dating each other and they say, you know, he gets me or she gets me. Um, The senior people at Carrot, uh, who wrote a terrific review, understood the genesis of my market-based theories about how to transform healthcare from the bottom up uh, in an evolutionary, uh, market-driven way. And so I got to know them there and then uh, learned more about the company. And they are really doing some exciting new activities in healthcare uh, using big data. Uh, they're really one of the most exciting new healthcare startups in the Twin Cities. Uh, for those of you who don't know about big data and retail data, it's actually a little bit scary what you can learn um, about people from surveys and purchasing habits, uh, things like Kurt's company can predict with accuracy when someone's going to be divorced in six months. Um, So they have a great leadership team, really interesting, and they're trying to take all this big data, retail data analytics capability and apply it to healthcare with some really interesting potential impact. So that's what we're going to talk about today. So Kurt, welcome to Market Corner Conversations. Thank you, Dave. Well, why don't we start by telling us a little bit about yourself. Who is Kurt Waltenbaugh, and how did you get to where you are today? Well, I have to say to, uh, to your prior comments, it's always great to meet a like mind in the industry. You know, I think you go back three or four years ago, we might have felt like we were a bit of crying in the wilderness, you know, looking, looking for people who shared our, our vision and our thesis, but uh, luckily we stuck with our guns. My, my background is primarily as an entrepreneur, uh, serial entrepreneur. Uh, this is my fourth company, all of which have been centered around data, specifically information about consumers, how they behave, how they shop, how they live, uh, really kind of looking at the exhaust trail of how we live our lives and using that information on behalf of individuals, on behalf of industry, uh, and on behalf of solving, solving difficult problems. That's terrific. So from that big picture perspective, tell us a little bit about Carrot Health. What's it built to do? And specifically, what healthcare problems are you trying to solve? You know, I, this goes back to some time that I spent at Optum, uh, part of United Health Group, working on better understanding clinical outcomes, right? So taking clinical data, claims data, and integrating the two to look for patterns and to look for patterns that gave us an opportunity to change uh, outcomes and to improve outcomes and improve the health of the consumer. And the thing that frustrated me was that time and time again, we kept coming up with very, very low impacts. Even with all of the the sort of wealth of information that exists about uh, the, the type of medical care we get and how how that's engaged and received, 
the ability to use that information to drive a change in a clinical outcome, right? For example, lowering smoking rates or, or improving obesity, some of the causes of, of the healthcare crisis today, we had very little impact based on the information we were using. And about that time, uh, there was a study published, uh, came out through uh, Oliver Wyman, I believe, looking at the root uh, drivers of health outcome as measured by mortality and morbidity. And they attributed only about 10% of that overall outcome to clinical care, access to care, quality of care, and some of the right. others. Right. And I thought, boy, we've, we've spent entire lifetimes working on improving those two things, access to care and quality of care. What about the rest of it? And that's really what we formed Carrot to do. Let's look at variation in consumer behavior and understand how consumers work and live their lives and use that to drive change in health outcomes. Yeah, Kurt, that's such an interesting perspective. I've thought the same thing to some extent about the genetic research that we're doing. We're always looking for ways to tinker with our DNA to uh, create a cure or prevent a disease from happening. Uh, but there are very few purely genetic diseases. Uh, almost all disease is a function of genetic predisposition and interaction with the environment. And we spend very little time thinking about how do we manipulate the environment or adjust the environment to improve health outcomes, uh, behavioral health, and so on. And what you're doing really is a, is a version of the same type of analytics, which is, okay, 90% of what we do that affects our health is outside the health system. Let's focus on that 90%. So, so talk a little bit about how you work with customers and take this perspective and all of your insights to really try to move the needle toward you know, better health, um, healthier communities, and so on. Yeah, I think I think you've hit the nail on the head uh, in in your your comments there. If you look at things like uh, genetics as compared to behavior, genetics may end up causing about a third of the, the problems that we see. But what we can do to manipulate and change those outcomes, other than knowing that information, there's really not a lot we can do today. The the lift on manipulating the genome is a very very heavy lift versus if you look at a consumer and the way they live their lives, the variation between us as consumers is immense, right? When you look at things like fitness level, you look at diets, you look at our social connectedness or isolation in community, just to name a few things, the environmental conditions that surround us, all of those things are things that we either as individuals control or we as society can control based on how we interact and invest, invest our dollars. Those things are going on already. What Carrot really does in working with our customers is to take that exhaust trail, that stream of information that we and the environments and communities we live in leave just by, uh, by reason of existing. We collect all of that information uh, at an individual level, as granular as we can get it. We then combine that with clinical and claims data from our, our customers, health systems uh, and health insurance companies, and that combined data set we then use at an individual level to predict how this variation in consumer behavior is going to affect future risk of health conditions. And we measure that through uh, decreased mortality, so premature death, 
and years that we estimate someone will live with a chronic illness, so morbidity. Uh, and then as a third, looking at the, the resultant total cost of clinical care as a combination of those two factors. So distilling this down, Kurt, you really hope to identify the ticking time bombs, the people that aren't sick right now or aren't uh, acutely sick right now but are in danger of having an acute episode within a relatively short period of time based on readily available information, uh, behavior patterns, spending patterns, and so on. It's pretty powerful. It, it really is. And I think and it's, if you boil it down and explain it to people, it's really very simple. And there, there are several uh, great studies that have come out recently. Uh, Harvard and Mayo have two that, that, uh, that we leveraged. There was a, a new one that just came out taking a look at drivers of, of dementia and Alzheimer's. In almost all of these cases, the root drivers uh, that cause most of the variation in the illness are related to factors that individuals control. So if you take the, the Harvard and the Mayo studies, one of those was looking at cancer and drivers of majority types of cancers. The other was looking at chronic illnesses, uh, you know, looking at uh, hypertension, uh, looking at diabetes, looking at uh, a number of other, other issues. Both of them found that the same four or five factors showed up over and over and over again. And if you control those four or five factors as an individual, you cut your risk of cancer by about 60% for, all, for most types of cancers. And for chronic illnesses, 80 or 90% reduced risk. I mean, if, wow. there's, if there's anything you can do in the health community that, that cuts things by that, even close to an order of magnitude similar, I, I don't know what it is. <laughs> That's true. That is so true. And this is where things get really interesting and in what uh, our two companies have been talking about, which is could we ever create the equivalent, equivalent of a FICO score for healthcare so that you could come in with the five criteria that you describe and at the individual level, the group level, the company level, the zip code level, actually assess health for any cohort of, of individuals that you'd like. And if you have that ability to do a FICO score and measure it on a regular basis, we can start to nudge people in directions that will really reinforce wellness, lead to healthier lives, lead to, lead to greater productivity. In fact, uh, I'll just mention that, that Kurt and I wrote an article called together called The Iceberg Cometh, Welcome to Sickville, USA, that used some of this methodology uh, to look at the future and the reason future health of the country and the reason we use the metaphor of the iceberg was to show that what's above the line are some level of people sick with chronic disease, but below the waterline uh, is a massive problem in our horizon that if we as a country don't figure out how to address, we're looking at a future just consumed by more chronic disease, greater inequality, um, less productivity, less happiness. So this is, this is as big a problem as we're going to tackle as a country. So, Kurt, I've thrown a lot out at, at you there, but why don't you come back to this idea of creating a FICO score for healthcare and its potential to really fundamentally reshape how we approach wellness and measure wellness and, and encourage people, nudge people to do better. Yeah, I think that's, I think that's exactly the, the point, Dave, is that 
if you look in the data as to how people are living their lives today, and we go back to those four or five factors that we talked about earlier, things like uh, you know a moderate level of exercise, a reasonable diet, uh, uh, you know, no smoking, reasonable alcohol consumption, etc., less than three percent of the country is behaving in a way that is healthy across four or more of those five factors. Less than 3%. Yeah, wow. It's 2.7, actually, according to the, the research. And at the what that means, and this is where the iceberg metaphor is so powerful, 87% of our nation, 87% is living a lifestyle that is almost guaranteed to result in a chronic illness, one or more chronic illnesses in, in the course of their lifetime. That that is uh, a, a factor in that has changed in our society dramatically over the last thirty or forty years. If you go back to the nineteen fifties or, or, or before, we did not have a lot of the, these issues. Uh, more of our lifestyles were active. Uh, there was less access to uh, sugar and, and empty calories. Uh, it was easier for more of the population to live a healthy lifestyle. We've changed that, and I think that's the, the root cause of that iceberg. To solve that problem, uh, that's really the naughty problem of our generation. Right? If, if we can't fix that, we are going to be uh, continuing ever-increasing healthcare spend until it breaks us. That is, that's, that's true, and one of the ways I think about this, Kurt, is as though it's a type of, of negative social contagion that Starting in the late 70s, early 80s, we had a massive shift in uh, food consumption toward fast and processed food that combined with lower activity levels. And that combination um, has been just devastating on the country. You know, before 1980, uh, no state had uh, more than 20 percent of its people uh, as obese. Today, uh, no state has fewer than 20 percent of its people is obese. So it's really been over the course of our adult lifetimes that we've had this negative social contagion. And I think the challenge for us is how do we turn that around and create a positive social contagion uh, so that we make it easier for people by themselves and within communities to make smarter, healthier lifestyle choices? live healthier lives, uh, enjoy life more. Um, so what are your thoughts about that, about how we can take what's been a negative um, social contagi contagion and flip it to one that's more positive? This, this, is, this is my life's passion, I would, I would say, uh, uh, Dave. And so I think you've, you've hit on something that is really important to me personally. And I think one of the reasons underlying, underlying Carrot and what we do if you take the premise, as almost every corporation in the country does, that marketing works, right? We spend money on marketing as corporations because we can influence behavior and we can cause people to do something uh, and maybe change that behavior a little bit at a time, right? Over 30, 40 years, that adds up. And so that, that behavior change that we have allowed to happen in our society has come from somewhere, right? It's been influenced. Uh, and we have a perfect example of a way to counter that in what's happened in many states across the country with the tobacco settlement money. 
So that those dollars have been used to create marketing campaigns to market against the tobacco companies, against smoking, particularly in children. And just in our my own state of, uh, of Minnesota, that's worked, right? We've seen smoking rates fall over the years that those programs have been in place. And I suspect that as we're nearing the end of some of those, those dollars and those campaigns dry up, if there's nothing to replace them, those rates are going to go back up again, right? Now, that's smoking. I think we see the same thing with alcohol. We see the same thing with sedentary activities that lead to uh, a lack of fitness and social isolation. And we see it with food. So if we can show and we can demonstrate where that's working and we can demonstrate a way in which we can blunt those activities and help people reinforce their own behavior, getting back to that social contagion that makes it good for people to reinforce each other's behavior back towards behaviors that, that prevent these illnesses, I think we need to do it. Yeah, really, really powerful uh insight and, and and passion on your part, and I share your passion. You know, in the movie Wall Street, Gordon Gecko famously told uh, Charlie Sheehan uh, that if he wanted a friend to get a dog. Uh, why don't you tell us about Matt and Jim, the two gentlemen we profiled in our article, and what difference a dog can make in people's health? Yeah, this is, this is a really uh, powerful story because it highlights some things that aren't necessarily obvious that come out of looking at the data. So in our research, we took two uh, uh, analogs, two uh, composites of different uh, segments of people, uh, in this case, uh, middle-aged adult men who were both in a pre-diabetic condition, right? So, So both of them had the same clinical risk. Both of them saw physicians on a very infrequent basis. Uh, and that's about all the health system knows about them, right? They, they get their once a year physical. We see some of the biometrics show up, but there's really 99.99% of their lives are lived outside of the health system. And we know very little about them. If you just look at the record that your physician or your, your health insurance company has. So we started with that as the premise and then said, well, why underlying that, that clinical information, why do these two, Matt and Jim have dramatically different outcomes as we follow them year to year to year across uh, across the data. And in one case, we see an individual, Matt, who ends up having full-blown out-of-control diabetes, bounces in and out of the emergency room, and ends up costing the health system and himself a, a very substantial amount of money, right? On the other hand, we have Jim, who maintains that pre-diabetic state, maintains his fitness level, maintains his health and ends up preserving his health for much, much longer into the future at a much lower cost. There are lots and lots of elements that, uh, as data themes that come out to help us differentiate between the two, but a couple of those that are important uh, relate to uh, social isolation and relate to something non-obvious, pet ownership. So... If you want a friend, get a dog. <laughs> it's, that, that's it, right? Yeah. So in the, yeah. in the case of Jim, right, people, what we find in the data is that people who own dogs who are pre-diabetic have significantly better long-term outcomes than those who own no pets at all. Cats are somewhere in between. Wow. So it, it's not causal necessarily, right? This is just a correlated fact. But in our uh, interviews and our discussions with, with patients, we suspect what's happening is that 
to have a dog requires some level of physical activity, right? Dogs require you to walk them periodically. Uh, and so there's some level of, of fitness there over and above the no-pet. There's also a, a social isolation component that a, a pet really is your friend and can provide some of that camaraderie, which we know uh, helps people out over the long run. You know, Kurt, this is just an, ex- an excellent example of the sort of data-driven insights that you're able to glean from these massive data sets and surveys and so on. Could you give us a, a, a couple of, of um, non-healthcare examples of how retail companies have, have used the type of analytics that you employ to really understand customers and um, market to them in ways that, that uh, change behaviors or identified behaviors and, uh, and, and really appeal to people? Because I, I think in, in those types of stories, we'll get a sense of the, the power of how we – if we can truly apply big data, uh, retail sales information, survey work in, in ways that give us a better understanding, we can begin to nudge people almost unconsciously, the same way we were talking about before, uh, toward healthier lifestyles, start this positive social contagion. That's right. Yeah. So re- retailers think about this in a really, uh, a really concrete way, right? They're trying to understand behavior, not of the past and not of the present, but behavior that will, inf- that will allow them to influence the future. And I think this is the difference where healthcare has historically looked at what has your clinical record been in the past? And we use that information to think about the future, but we're not really trying to predict your behavior in the future. So a retailer, uh, this is where I spent much of my career in the, in the 90s working in the, in the retail space. And one of, one of my uh, early customers said, you know, let's take the Buzz Lightyear toy, right, back when Toy Story came out. And he said, that toy became the it toy for the, the holiday season, right, based on the strength of the movie. Buzz Lightyear. I remember Buzz. Buzz. <laughs> yeah, you remember Buzz. So now the, the way retail works, the movie didn't actually come out until I think Thanksgiving or between Thanksgiving and Christmas, but the buying decisions had to be made back in June or July, right? Before no, no one had ever heard of the movie, Pixar was new, Toy Story was new. Uh, so all the retailers committed to a very, very small level of stock. So as you get into the holiday season, whichever retailer notices first that that toy is outselling every other toy and buys up the rest of the stock, that retailer now has an edge over the competition. Huh. And so that's, that's the sort of type of edge that retailers are looking for to figure out what's the next trend and can I influence the next trend to become that destination shopping center. Uh, and so that's, that's an example. And there are hundreds and thousands of examples we could go into one of my favorites uh, is as Target, uh, Target stores here, uh, also in Minnesota, uh, began delving into sort of the health and wellness aspects of the information contained in their data sets. And as was reported in the, uh, uh, the news media here uh, a year or so ago, uh, a father called up Target and was very distraught because Target had begun sending his 17-year-old daughter uh, information about pregnancy. And the father said, I know you do direct marketing, uh, 
but my daughter's 17 and she's not pregnant and stopped sending this information. What, what kinds of things? Diaper ads? Uh... That's right. So based on shopping market basket information, they look at things you bought. And if, as people start buying things like uh, cotton balls, as they start switching from scented to unscented lotions uh, and other things that are typical behaviors associated with pregnancy, they flag that record in their database and begin sending out literature for things like car seats and strollers and all of the other gadgets that all of us as parents know we need to own to be able to, to successfully raise a child, apparently. Uh, and so Target had seen this on the, uh, uh, in the data of, about this, uh, this gentleman's daughter and begun sending her that same information. Well, uh, several weeks go by and the father called Target back to apologize. And it turns out his daughter actually was pregnant. He just hadn't known about it yet. <laughs> uh, and that story, more than anything, I think, puts a real human face on the power of information and how it can almost anticipate what's going to happen in, in the future. Data doesn't lie. Well, Kurt, this, is, this has been a blast. I, I, um, you know, I think most startup companies are, are incremental improvements on, on existing products and services. To me, though, the most interesting startup companies are those that have founders that are really trying to change the world, trying to, in, in healthcare in particular, you know, really looking at the current system, seeing how broken it is, and uh, trying to find new ways, uh, new types of companies, new types of business models to deliver better outcomes, lower costs, um, better customer experience. You definitely fall into uh, one of those latter types companies that, and uh, even, even into the very elite group of rebels with a cause. I, you know, I think we share the, the goal of, of, of creating healthier American communities and I'm not sure there's a, a more important thing any of us can be working on, on right now. So, uh, I want to I want to personally thank you for that on on uh, and and uh, give you a pat on the back and lots of encouragement. Could you just uh, as we start to wrap up here any any final thoughts on the potential for what Carrot Health working working with us a little bit but but Carrot Health in and of itself can can do to uh, to make America a healthier country. Well, let me let me give you one more uh, thought because I I think I think this really sums up uh, the value of what this means to each of us as, as individuals and to the nation as a whole, right? We as a nation spent over $3 trillion on healthcare last year. And most of that, the vast majority of that goes to the sickest 1%, 5%, 20% of the population. Uh, we're spending the money after people are already sick. And if you change that, instead of selling health care, right, sick care, what people really want, what we all want, is to be healthy. We don't want to be sick and then have to spend money to make us better. We'd rather just not be sick in the first place. Wouldn't it be great if we could take a third or a half or some significant percentage of that $3 trillion and spend it on keeping us all healthier and avoid being sick in the first place? That would what what a great vision. By the way, I because uh, I'm a nerd. I once figured out how long you how many years you'd have to live to live a trillion seconds. Any idea? <laughs> oh man, uh, I'd have to work that out. But I'm going to say it's longer than well well longer than my lifetime. 
Yeah, thirty-two thousand years. Yeah, so this, this is a this is a lot of money we're spending on healthcare on on sick care. Uh, and Kurt, uh, I, I'm just delighted to say that uh, I, I know you and that I'm glad you're not uh, trying to figure out how to get people to buy more toothpaste. You're actually trying to help people figure out how to lead healthier lives. So thank, <laughs> thanks so much I for, for that, Dave. I think we've all got plenty of toothpaste. Let's work on the hard stuff. <laughs> yeah. Well, anyway, thanks for being a part of uh, Market Corner Conversations. And, you know, keep up the great work. Continue to slay dragons. And uh, let's, let's nudge America toward wellness. Likewise. Thanks, Dave. Bye-bye. We've been talking with Kurt Waltenbaugh of Carrot Health today about his company's really innovative way of trying to nudge the American people toward healthier lifestyle choices, healthier communities, using retail data and surveys, uh, big data, in creative ways to really improve health. I don't think there's a, a more important uh, challenge that we as Americans face today. We really do have to reverse this. And we have this arsenal of, of, of big data and analytics to use. So people like Kurt and, and companies like Carrot Health are really pushing the frontier of, of how we can begin to develop the types of positive contagion that we that allow us to take our health back. Uh, for the country and our people. So I thought it was a great conversation. Delighted to introduce you to Kurt and Carrot Health. And uh, we'll wrap up uh, now with, with the same thing we always say. At, you know, at the end of the day in healthcare, it's outcomes matter, customers count, and value rules. Thank you very much. If you're frustrated with healthcare, if you want to understand how the system is reinventing itself, through relentless bottom-up market-driven reform, please subscribe to our podcast at foresighthealth.com. Be a rebel with a cause. Help us fix American healthcare. Until next time, this is Dave Johnson.